0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious, I'm Barry Vogel. Imagine leaving home and traveling by yourself to a new land where you don't know the customs or the politics on a trip that will take three weeks to complete in what would now be considered a very small ship on turbulent waters. Imagine making this voyage never to return to your homeland when you're fifteen years old and pregnant. Soon after you arrive, a war begins that changes the face of the country and sets a new type of government in motion. Imagine researching this story and then writing it. That's the work of Patrick McGrath, the author of Martha Peak, a book about a plucky young woman who came to America in 1774. I spoke with Patrick McGrath by phone in 2001 to talk about Martha Peak, how he researched and prepared to write it, and what British students are taught about the American Revolution. We began when I asked Patrick McGrath to tell us about Martha Peak.
1: Martha Peak is a young woman who um, falls foul of her father harry peak in 18th century london her father takes to drink and um, although their bond is very close and very loving his character his very nature begins to change and she's forced to flee to america and the year is 1774 and the revolution is about to to, to break out
0: how old is martha at that time
1: how well martha is 15 years old she's a uh, a red-haired spirited courageous girl and has has been forced to to run away from the father she adores.
0: Where does she come from in your experience?
1: In my own experience, um, I don't know that I can pin her down. Um, She emerged pretty much full-blown from my imagination as a sort of an ideal of a gutsy, plucky, uh, feisty young woman um, who would uh, respond well to the various... um, you know, adventures and trials and tribulations that I was planning to put her through in this book.
0: How can you create uh, the pluck of um, a 15-year-old girl who lived uh, 230 years ago?
1: Well, the first thing is to get the, uh, the background credible and plausible, uh, and that involves uh, research, uh, enough research so that one feels comfortable you know, in the imagination um, with the way that, um, you know, the rooms looked and felt and smelt, the streets, uh, what people wore, what they ate. And once you can sort of uh, bring the period alive in your own mind, it then becomes um, possible to sort of set a character moving against that backdrop, know um, uh, how... Martha, for example, is going to um, uh, react um, to any given uh, uh, situation that arises. What her daily routine is going to look like, um, how she talks, um, how
0: well, she Patrick, uh, tell us about how you conduct your investigation to uh, create these these historical images and historical truths.
1: Um, as I read about the period, in, in uh, whatever. Um, Histories come to hand, and I'm not a great user of libraries. I tend to go to bookstores and second-hand bookstores. Um, as I read, I tend to pick out details of uh, the daily life of the period, and uh, if they have a certain sort of vividness, if they seem to, um, uh, you know, have a, have a lot of resonance uh, in terms of, you know, giving a sense of the character of the time, then I'll, I'll make a note of them. Uh, and use them as I'm building scenes, as I'm writing descriptive passages, and by means of, of uh, an accumulation of details um, that uh, in the first instance I, I've, I've found in my research and in the second instance that I've sort of, you know, imaginatively extrapolated from my reading, um, I can begin to put together, you know, enough details of, of um, a particular place um that it uh, that it you know it feels um you know adequate to me and then um, as i say i oh, i can put my characters into that uh, into that setting and 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 get them get them moving
0: perhaps you could read a portion of the book for us that uh, could put us into the setting that you describe
1: well why don't i read uh, um uh a couple of paragraphs right from uh uh, right from the beginning of the book, uh, where my narrator, a young man called Ambrose Tree, has uh, uh, gone out across a, a, a marsh south of London and, uh, to visit his old uncle, and there he sees a picture hanging on the wall, and it's that picture intrigues him, and his intrigue causes him to ask his un- uncle a question, and the answer to that question sets the story in motion. So let me read those couple of paragraphs for you. I found the old doctor seated close to a blazing coal fire in a small gloomy room with a heavy turkey carpet on the floor and thick dark curtains on the windows. He had a blanket on his knees, a tome in his lap, and a jorum of hollands and water close to hand. As he turned toward the door, I saw at once that he, he could not belong for this world, so frail did he appear, his skin in the firelight as white and brittle as paper." But on recognising me, a light came up in those dim and milky eyes. He fixed me with a gimlet stare and cried to me to come in. Come in for the love of God, for the draught was a chill one. And he pointed with a trembling finger to the aged leather armchair on the other side of the fireplace. But still, I stood there in the open door, rooted to the spot. I was transfixed by the painting hanging over the mantelpiece. I had never seen it before. It was the portrait of a robust, broad-shouldered man of between 30 and 40 years. He stood against a wild moorland scene, a pine flattening in the gale on the brow of a distant hill, and rags of black cloud flying across the sky. He wore neither hat nor wig, and his long hair was tied at the back with a blue ribbon, a few strands torn free by the wind. His shirt was open at the throat, his skin was pale, and his eyes were like great dark pools, full of life and full of pain, but hooded somehow, lost in shadow, as they gazed off into some unknown horizon. It was not a handsome face, it was carved too rough for that, but it was a strong, complicated face." patched and knotted with sorrow and passion, a big stubborn chin uplifted, the whole head uplifted, lips unsmiling and slightly parted, and the expression one of defiance, yes, and purpose. I felt at once that the artist, for all that he had caught some fleeting expression of this fierce romantic spirit, could not have done him justice. Nobody could have done justice to this man. My Uncle William nodded at me with a pursed smile as I stood as I closed the door behind me and moved to the chair by the fire, my gaze still fixed on the painting, and slowly sat down. You know who he is, eh? said my Uncle. No, sir, I said. I do not. No? Then shall I tell you? It was Harry Peake.
0: Harry Peake was, um, Martha's father. That's right. Um... What kind of a person was he? You, you tell us in, in the passage that you read um, about how he was first seen, brought into the book.
1: This is how he's first seen, and as the, um, as the story begins, we find Harry uh, as a young man uh, living in Cornwall in the west of England in the 1760s. He, uh, he's a smuggler. Uh, he uh, is a big um strong well-liked um uh, active competent man a leader among men really um he has a natural gift for poetry uh but he has a weakness for the drink and in those um first pages uh we see him uh very much the master of in his environment which is the the, the rough craggy uh, headlands and and cliffs of cornwall where he um, where he works basically as a smuggler and a fisherman, Um, but we'll soon uh, see his fortunes change when, uh, in his drunkenness one night, he manages to burn down the family home, a fire in which his wife dies and in which he is is, uh, uh, badly injured by a falling beam that that, uh, grossly deforms his spine.
0: Is that kind of event, um, in your knowledge, common? Did that happen often?
1: Well, I don't know that it happened often, but this book is... Um, uh, it's its a, a romantic uh, book. It's a, a, a big, sweeping, and rather melodramatic sort of a novel. That's what I set out to write here. So everything is heightened somewhat. Um, and um, whereas this is a... Um, well, it's quite simply a rather melodramatic event. It's a... a um, uh, it's,
0: That's an understatement.
1: It's an understatement, <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, what I wanted to do was um, uh, give Harry Peake um, some some reason to be uh, in some way sort of monstrous, in some way uh, deformed. This was important to to, to the, my scheme of the novel, um, and this is the way I chose to do it. I could have done it in, in quieter ways, in more naturalistic ways. Um, but the theme of fire was important in this book, and also the theme of alcohol. And this was a way of, of putting together all those um, uh, themes that, that, will, that will, you know, recur again and again throughout the book in, in, sort of in, in different forms.
0: I want to take a moment and say that this week we're talking with Patrick McGrath, the author of a new book called Martha Peak about a 15-year-old young woman in 1774 who flees England and comes to Boston. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Patrick, when you choose the themes and weave them together, uh, is there a particular message, uh, an underlying message perhaps, that you seek to convey?
1: Um. There is it it, uh, it develops in the writing of the book i don't sort of come to the to the writing of a book with uh, with a, a message uh, very clearly articulated in my mind uh, with this one I knew I wanted to write a historical novel and I wanted to um, address the uh, question of, of of how reliable is the uh, is the history we learn uh, and the historical images that we have of the past, particularly something as as important and and vivid in the American imagination as as the revolution. And I wanted to explore the extent to which um, history in terms of the actual events of that time become uh, transformed uh, through the generations into something more closely approaching myth. And I wanted, if I could, to, 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 to chart that That movement where where actual events which are complicated and and not simple to uh, to um, understand um, in in uh, any sort of straightforward way how those do become simplified over time, so that what we get in the end is um, a set of legends really a set of myths uh rather than the the the, the full complexity of you know human uh, motives and uh, uh Difficult and and complicated circumstances. That, that is probably the the uh, you know the, the real situation in in any uh, um, uh, given sort of uh, incident in real life.
0: What sort of myths uh, do you feel you've been able to identify uh, in putting this book together?
1: Well, I think the. Um, uh, the basic myth of the of the revolution, as I understand it, and I'm not an American, of course, though I've lived here for many
0: years. But that does give you an interesting perspective, having grown up in England.
1: Well, it does, and uh, so so I have perhaps a, uh, been more more deeply immersed in uh, the the you know the myths of um, English history. Um, coming to this country, um, what I found was a story of um, uh, uh, a people that was uh, not really uh, uh, very uh, well organized in, in military terms, um, but who had a passionate sense of their, um, of their own rights and of the injustice being done by a tyrannical government, or a tyrannical king, I should say, far over the seas, who, who was, uh, um, was denying, him the, denying them their, their basic natural rights
0: what did you learn as a person growing up in england about uh, the american revolution or did you call it the american secession
1: uh no it wasn't called the american secession it was called uh the war of american independence uh, and it was called the american revolution and um see th- this is one of the interesting um aspects of history that i i wanted to explore um in the novel is that uh, growing up in England, I would have a very different picture of it, obviously, uh, from somebody like yourself growing up uh, in America.
0: Right. And just a moment ago, you characterized uh, the king as being uh, a tyrant.
1: Well, from the American point of view.
0: But how about from the British point of view?
1: From the British point of view, um, King George III um, sort of oversaw um, a major sort of expansion of um, British power, uh, overseas, uh, he also went mad. We know that, but um, we, we we find that um, rather quaint and interesting. But uh, in the sort of the, in in the history of um, uh, of, of Great Britain, uh, this period, the late 18th century, would would see us, um, uh, you know, beginning to develop uh, major trade networks. Um, our military power growing. Our naval power growing. Um, the uh, the the threat of uh, Napoleon beginning to emerge, and of course we go into the the the, the great um, the great years of the uh, Na- struggles with Napoleon, uh, which culminate in in you know the great British victory at the Battle of Waterloo, and I think it's just, you know the American story is something of a sidebar to this, a rather um, a, you know embarrassing um, uh, event in in which we manage through. Um, through some clumsiness, uh, to um, to lose some rather important colonies, but this certainly wouldn't be central to our um, picture of um, uh, of uh, Britain in in that period. Um, whereas, of course, um, if uh, if you grew up in the United States, this is the the, the seminal event. This is the birth of the republic, and um, instead of seeing uh, Britain as a great nation getting ever greater year by year. Uh, it seems that the the british um are a people uh under the under the thumb of a tyrannical king um who uh had a very short shrift with the uh, the colonies in terms of what their natural rights were what their political and economic rights were um and would um, um you know take no sort of um, um defiance and uh, when the colonies attempted to establish more control over their own affairs. Um, the British responded, uh, you know, with a series of rather punitive laws and eventually with, with a military occupation of Boston.
0: I'm curious about your characterization okay. of, um, uh, I think the way you put it, uh, England and Britain proceeded with some clumsiness. Um, what do you mean? Is that your interpretation now, or is that the way it is taught um in the history books and in the history lessons?
1: Um I don't know how it's taught in this country, but in the reading of my uh, uh of the history um that, that um that I found um in my uh, research for this book, um the British uh, failed to realize, it seems, uh, certainly the British government failed to realize um, just how important uh, economic expansion was to the Americans, and also how much they treasured uh, the um, the rights of, of self-government that had m- been established in the colonies, particularly Massachusetts, in the, um, you know, 100, 150 years that, uh, you know, the, the colonies had been in, in existence. And they trampled roughshod over those rights by imposing uh, taxes uh, from London without any consultation uh, with the colonies and failed to understand that the colonies, uh, uh, or many of the the, the colonists, would be uh, outraged at um, these sort of rather arbitrary edicts emerging from London that basically took away from them um, uh, the uh, the right to... uh, govern and tax themselves that they'd grown used to. And the, the British were clumsy in, in not recognized that they'd made a, a, a false move here. Uh, and instead, they gradually exacerbated the problem in an effort to um, impose their own control over the colonies and simply uh, um, uh, aggravated and frustrated the colonists to the point where what had been, you know, a very loyal part of, of the British Empire um, was totally disaffected, totally, totally alienated, and, and prepared to go to war with the mother country. And even as early as sort of 1773, 1774, most American colonists thought of themselves as Englishmen. And for them, it, it was completely unthinkable that they should uh, not be a part of the British Empire. Do you think. And, that... and the government, I think, you know, uh, undid all of that goodwill, forfeited it.
0: Do you think that uh, there could have been a different uh, tact or uh, form of behavior on the part of Britain at that time that would not have resulted in uh, the revolution in America?
1: Oh, I think so. I think they.
0: What would that have been?
1: I think they could have been far more conciliatory and uh, uh, and have uh, recognized the strength of feeling in the colonies. as regards their, their own customs of, of, of self-government.
0: Um, why was Britain blind to the feelings in America?
1: Uh, yeah, they were blind, and they were also rather uh, condescending and dismissive. But why? They thought of the colonists as, as second-class citizens, really. Um, they thought them uh, rough, unsophisticated uh, people um, whose... Uh, Uh, opinions uh, didn't really matter to sort of, uh, you know, aristocratic uh, government ministers in London.
0: So would that have been applicable to any uh, other part of the British Empire? Um, That kind of same attitude of um, superiority, if you will, on the part of the aristocracy? I think
1: this had been true sort of up to that point, and it it was true, uh, I think, in the government of uh, of the Caribbean, Um, colonies, um, uh, Jamaica, Barbados, I think that after the revolution, um, in combination with other factors, um, the British um, basically treated their colonies somewhat differently, and they didn't uh, tend to make the same mistake again.
0: Uh, Patrick, I'd like to um, ask you more about Martha Peak. But first, I want to remind our listeners that this week we're talking with Patrick McGrath, the author of a new and very intriguing book called Martha Peak, the story of a fifteen-year-old young woman who left England in 1774 under some uh, rather odd circumstances that the book uh, details, and comes to America. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Uh, Patrick. Uh, The book is told by Ambrose, the narrator. Yes. Um, Tell us about Ambrose and the role that you are trying to place on him as the narrator.
1: Well, Ambrose uh, is a young man who, um, as I um, described him coming out to his uncle's house, who begins to hear the story of Harry Peake. He's a young, impressionable uh, rather hot-tempered, rather romantic fellow of about twenty-five, and as he begins to hear the story of Harry Peake and his daughter Martha and what Martha encounters in America, he jumps to the uh, conclusion that um, uh, that t- a terrible wrong is being done to to certain of the characters in this story, and particularly to the American colonies. He's 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 very much on on the side of the colonists in, in their revolutionary struggle. Um, and this is part of his uh, very sort of hot-headed, uh, immediate sort of knee-jerk sympathy for the underdog. Um, so he um, sees the story in the light of these uh, passions of his own, these biases of his own. And he spends the, um, the almost the entirety of the book arguing with his old uncle as to how the events uh, that are described should be interpreted. And his uncle, uh, being older, wiser, more cranky, um, is far more cynical about human nature and about history. Uh, he's far more conservative, as tends to be the case with with old men. And so, what I've tried to set up is is a, a dialogue, or more than a dialogue, an argument about how uh, Martha Peak's history and on a, on a larger scale, how, how the, the history of, of the American Revolution um, uh, is, is, is to be seen, and, and what, where the truth lies, uh, with Ambrose uh, taking a very strong liberal Republican revolutionary line um, with great fervor, and his old uncle being far more cautious and, and far more wary of revolutionary movements and, and upheaval and bloodshed, and. Um, uh, and so I wanted to set up a sort of really a, a dialogue between youth and age on, uh, on this particular uh, historical topic.
0: Patrick McGrath, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious, and before we close, I'd like you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: Well, um, as you can imagine, my thoughts have been um, very much... Uh, uh, tied up with uh, the American Revolution recently, and I've just come upon a book um, which I've uh, I've not finished yet, but uh, um, I'm enjoying enormously. It's called The First American, and it's The Life and Times of Benjamin Franklin by a historian called H.W. Brands. It's published by Doubleday, and it's the best sort of um, uh, narrative history, um, and I'm... Just having a, a great time of it, uh, it it's, it's well written, it moves at a great pace and gives you a, a very good sense of, of one of the most fascinating and complex and able of, of the um, men of that period, and a man of course who, who played such a, a huge and vital role in in the, uh, in the American Revolution.
0: Patrick McGrath, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious.
1: My great pleasure.
0: Patrick McGrath is the author of Martha Peak*. He's also the author of Asylum, a book about his youth growing up the son of a psychiatrist next to where violent and psychotic criminals were incarcerated in England. The book he recommends is The First American by H.W. Brown. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California,